0: Welcome to Secrets True Crime. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Susan Osborne and her 14-year-old son, Evan Chartrand. They disappeared from their home in the tiny community of Holtville, Alabama on Memorial Day in 2017. They haven't been heard from since. It would be two months before anyone reported them missing. We will be looking at their lives leading up to their disappearance and taking a close look into the circumstances surrounding it. As this podcast is being produced, the investigation is active and ongoing. You will hear from Susan and Evan's family, friends, teachers, neighbors, and sheriff's investigators as we explore what happened to Susan and Evan. Their story is complicated and it has some shocking twists and turns, including prostitution, infidelity, lies, and secret lives. I'm sure at times it will leave you frustrated. It certainly has made me feel that way more than once. Also, Susan has a 10-year-old daughter from a previous relationship. She was with her father when Susan and Evan went missing. Because of her age, I have chosen not to include her name in this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. While you won't find foul language in this podcast, the subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, and murder. It is not suitable for younger listeners. We'll start the story with Susan's best friend, Holly Morris. In May 2009, about a year after Holly graduated from nursing school, she bought her first home. This was an exciting time for her, but she had no idea that her decision would be so life changing. This is Holly describing how she and Susan first met.
1: She lived across the street from me. Actually, the weekend I moved in, she came over there and introduced herself, and and so we literally we were inseparable from then. We just became friends immediately. Sorry, we were like sisters so we did most everything together. She was over at my house, but she lived across the street from me. She was at my house more than hers. Um, so, you know, we went places together all the time. We go grocery shopping together, get our nails done, you know, you know, you name it.
0: Susan and Evan moved to Alabama from Michigan with Evan's dad when he and Susan were still married. They later divorced and Susan and Evan stayed in Alabama. When Holly moved across the street, Susan was at the end of a relationship with another man. He is the father of Susan's daughter. This man will come up later in the podcast, but at this time, we see no reason to name him. Susan, Evan, and Susan's daughter lived in that home across the street from Holly for several years, and their friendship flourished. Holly also grew closer to Susan's children. Evan suffered from some chronic health issues that caused him to be frequently absent from school. I don't know exactly what his diagnosis was, I'm a person that likes details, and I've asked a lot of people, and no one seems to know the specifics. What I have learned is that he had gastrointestinal issues and that food sometimes made things worse. It was serious enough that he missed school often, was hospitalized at times, and had suffered with it for the majority of his life. He also spoke with a significant stutter.
1: His... Stuttering made him very nervous. So he wasn't friends with a whole lot of people because that did make him nervous. So he was quiet at school. I know. And he was be quiet around a lot of people. If he didn't know you, he would be quiet around you. But if he knew you and felt comfortable around you, he really opened up to you and would really talk to you and carry on conversations. And cause even when I first met him, you know, he was very quiet, very shy and then the more he opened up to me, more you get to know him the more you see his personality and what a jokester and cut up and everything he is. But I said, when he first gets to know someone, he is very nervous, very shy, and the stuttering made him very insecure. So he was very shy and insecure about that.
0: I spoke with Evan's friend, Brianne. She had a couple classes with him in middle school.
1: He was in my math class in eighth grade. He was... The
0: sweetest person I think I've ever met. He's just so genuine. And he's really funny, too. He was always joking around and very sarcastic. (laughs) I spoke to many people who knew Evan, and every single one spoke about what a sweet kid he was. Due in part to his chronic illness, the school gave him the opportunity to be a library aide. The librarian, Mrs. Watley, told me Evan smiled all the time. He was a happy kid who never got into trouble. She told me she is hoping he's safe somewhere, but she can't imagine he wouldn't contact friends. She said he was the kind of kid that when asked to do something, he started working on it the moment she finished asking. Mrs. Watley remembered that he had been quiet in the beginning, but really came out of his shell. She noted it was a joy to see him calm down and not be nervous. Evan had two Instagram accounts. Almost all of the photos in both accounts fell into one of three categories. Dogs, fishing, and his little sister, who he clearly adored. Evan also loved dogs. He posted several photos of dogs he encountered various places. It also included photos of their dogs, Sugar and Schnook. Both were fairly small, mixed-breed terrier types. One was Evan's, and one was his little sister's. These dogs were their babies. Holly told me Susan really loved dogs too. You will hear more about their dogs in future episodes. Evan also loved outdoors, especially fishing. One of his Instagram handles was even about fishing. Evan lived in a fisherman's paradise with the Coosa River and Lake Jordan both practically in his backyard. His Instagram post showed he took advantage of that every chance he got. His aunt, Missy, talked about his love of fishing with me quite a bit in our interviews.
2: Evan was a sweetheart, always had a smile on his face. He was obsessed with fishing, beyond belief, obsessed with fishing. He lived, breathed everything fishing. (laughs) He just loved it. And he was trying to make his own fishing lures, anything to do with that.
0: Evan and his mom were both fishing fanatics. Susan called it her stress reliever. In fact, the two of them were fishing together in 2013 when she first met her future husband, Jerry Osborne. Susan wasn't known for having the best taste in men, and we will discuss that a little further in future episodes. Her last two relationships had ended badly, so she had been taking a break from dating for the previous few years.
1: I remember she called me up and was telling me about when she met Jerry and she said, you know, I met this guy and she said, he just seems so sweet and so down to earth. And she said, you know, she's the more they sort of talk and the more she just really sort of liked me. And she's like, you're going to have to meet me. And she's like, I really like you.
0: It wasn't long before Holly did meet Jerry.
1: When I met him, he just seemed so nice, you know, so down to earth. I mean, and just even after they really got serious with each other and even after they got married, You would have thought he was a great guy. He put on a good front. Uh, He seemed like such a great dad to Evan. Typically, I have a good intuition about people, but I did not with him, which makes it even more scary because it shows how good he is at lying.
0: They dated for about a year before they were married. Holly told me Jerry called Evan his son, not his stepson. Evan had not spoken to his birth father in quite some time prior to his disappearance. Evan's Aunt Melissa told me this.
2: He hadn't had custody of Evan or visitation or anything for a year and a half. So he had actually, once she had got back down there, she got him away from the dad. She got him away from the dad and got custody of him. And so he hadn't seen him. I believe he got into some drug issues from what I know of everything and was in and out of jail a few times, but I'm not sure about the jail part or when he was in, you know what I mean? But I do know he got into drug issues.
0: Jerry is an Air Force veteran, and one Veterans Day, Evan posted a tribute to him on his Instagram. The photo was of soldiers superimposed over the U.S. flag, and it read, Veterans Day, Day. Remembering all who served. Evan wrote, Happy Veterans Day. Thanks for everything you have done in the military, Dad. Then he added another comment to the post. It said, Even though he hates today because it reminds him of being blown up in Iraq and seeing all his comrades die. Several of Evan's friends mentioned Jerry seemed to take an interest in Evan's life and said they'd even seen him around the school. Susan and Evan now lived in a home Jerry had bought just prior to their marriage in Elmore County in Holtville, Alabama. Holtville is a community just outside the city limits of Wetumpka. I've made the hour and a half drive from my home to this area numerous times to meet with various people while preparing for this podcast, so I wanted to familiarize myself with the area. Wetumpka is a small, beautiful southern city with a population of approximately 7,800 people. It straddles the banks of the Coosa River. The Coosa River is a tributary of the Alabama River, and it is about 280 miles long. The riverside downtown area has many renovated historical buildings. There are many restaurants, boutiques, hair salons, barber shops, and coffee shops located in these historical buildings. Gold Star Park is also in the downtown area. It's a quaint public park with walking trails and boat launch and a dock for the Coosa River. This is the park where Susan and Evan were fishing when she first met Jerry, and where a candlelight vigil would later be held for Susan and Evan after they vanished. Susan, Evan, and Jerry live just 2.3 miles outside the city limits of Wetumpka in the community of Holtville, which has an estimated population of just 3,600 people. Holtville is also home to Lake Jordan, a 6,800-acre impoundment on the Coosa River with 188 miles of shoreline. Elmore County has an abundance of water. As I drove through the community on Holtville Road, I noticed a sign that read, Welcome to Slapout. Had I driven into another community? I wasn't sure, so I decided to ask my next interview for an explanation of the communities. I met Sonia Wilson at a local coffee shop. It's not the very best audio, as you'll hear some coffee shop noises in the background. Sonia is the PE teacher from Holtville Middle School, and she was born and raised in the Wetumpka area. You'll hear more from her in later episodes. Are Slapout and
2: Holtville the same thing? They're the same thing. There's not a city, a zip code, or anything like that for any of them. So there's no really no Holtville or Slapout. Slapout got its name, um store there the guy that ran the store when he when you would go in and ask him for something he'd say no I'm slap out so that's kind of where we got the nickname from and hopeful is what the little community has always been called but it's not a it's not a dot on the map necessarily it doesn't have a post office or zip code it's the boy store was the name of it the b-o-y-s this is where the boys hang out the guys from town it's now the piggly wiggly but everybody still okay. knows it as the boy store so the Piggly Wiggly, the Piggly is, the Wiggly is the boy store.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's
2: been redone, fixed up numerous times over the years. And the one across the street, they refer to it as the girl's store.
0: I stopped at this Piggly Wiggly one day when I was in town and was curious about its history. It's the only Piggly Wiggly grocery store I've ever encountered that has gas pumps out front. It's a fairly small store, but it seems to have most of the necessities. Ironically, after my conversation with Sonia... I noticed on my Waze navigation app that the Piggly Wiggly isn't noted on the map. It's still labeled as the Boy Store. This little section feels like the hub of the community. There's also a Mexican restaurant, a small strip mall with an appliance store, and Holtville Middle and High School. Evan attended both of these schools during the four years he lived there. Evan did have some struggles, not unlike what most kids deal with growing up. Sometimes he was picked on at school because of his stutter, but his teachers and his friends have both told me that Evan had a great group of friends, plus his family to support him. However, things were about to change again for Susan and her kids. Her best friend Holly was engaged. She was moving to Key West because her fiancé was being transferred there.
1: Even when I moved from Alabama... She was the one that was there the day that I left, helping us pack things up. And even my house was closing that day. And even after we had already left to drive down to Key West, um, me and my you know now husband, then fiance, she stayed over. Her and Jerry, her husband, the suspect, they stayed over and you know were cleaning up the backyard, things like that. We didn't have room in the truck to carry it down to Key West or anything, so I told him us you know whatever, if any of that you want, you can have. So she took all the plants. I had a bunch of potted plants back there. And so they they took all of those and the patio furniture and everything. And so here, you know, she stayed and was even so dependable. This was the type of person she was. When she got over there and realized how much stuff we still had to pack in a truck, she was dressed up in a dress and high heels and everything when she first got over there. And a lot of my family and my husband's family was there. They left to go back home for her to change clothes and get the truck to, and then come back to my house to help out and to get change clothes into work clothes to help. So here she, you know, comes to my house and then drives 30 minutes back to her house and then 30 minutes back to my house just to go change clothes and get the truck to come help. She was one of the type of friends that if she ever said she was going to do something, she did it. She was very dependable, always there.
0: So after a tearful goodbye... Holly and her fiancé pulled away on their way to their new home in Key West, but Holly had forgotten to do something. Susan called her to see if she'd remembered to have her mail forwarded, and she had not. Susan told her not to worry about it. She said she'd go to pick up Holly's mail each day until Holly was able to get it forwarded, and Susan would mail it to her all at once to her new home in Key West. The Friday before Memorial Day, Susan called Holly.
1: On that Friday before um, she disappeared, she told me she said, "I've got your mail. Um, I've got to get it mailed to you." She said, "I was going to take it to the post office today." She said, "But Evan's out sick today." She said, "Is it okay if um, if I you know take it to the post office and you know get it mailed to you on Tuesday?" She says, "Monday's you know holiday and all."
0: Holly would never receive her mail from Susan. They had one last phone conversation before Susan and Evan disappeared.
1: We talked on the phone on May 28th. Remember, about 2.30 that afternoon, we talked on the phone. Nothing out of the ordinary, just casual conversation. Nothing that, you know, made me think anything otherwise, that anything was wrong.
0: Holly would chat with Susan one more time on Memorial Day, this time through text.
1: We text back and forth multiple times on that Monday on Memorial Day. If I remember correctly, we were texting back and forth. I want to say like four something, five something that afternoon. We were still texting back and forth. It just casual conversation. I mean, nothing out of the ordinary.
0: This is the last reported communication with Susan by anyone other than her husband, Jerry Marshall Osborne. Holly told me she and Susan called or texted with each other almost every day. In the morning of May 30th, Holly sent Susan a text that read, Hey, how are you? Susan didn't respond. Holly continued to text and call Susan and Evan both over the next few weeks, but she wasn't able to reach either of them.
1: I didn't think a whole lot of it at the time. So I was thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, she's been known to drop her phone and break the phone. So she would say, she's like, I'm so clumsy, I broke another phone. So when, uh, over the next few days, and I still couldn't get her. And then I was trying to call her phone, text her phone, was calling her and Evan's phone over the next few weeks. And then I couldn't get either of them. The only thing I think of, I said, I don't know if she's mad at me, you know, because I moved or I said, but she wasn't acting like she was mad at me. I was like, that's not her. I don't think she's, you know, I don't think she would be like that. And I said, but I was trying to think of everything as if something's not right. Something's wrong.
0: At the same time, Susan's mom, Linda Anklum, was also trying to reach them to no avail. Susan's family lived long distances away. In Texas, Michigan, and North Carolina. Susan's mom and brother's text and calls were going unanswered. They too were worried. Neither the family nor Holly knew how to contact Jerry.
1: I had been calling their phones, her and Evan's phones, both on a pretty much on a regular basis by this point. I would, you know, I was calling them for a little while. I would go every few days, I would call or text every few days. And I was, wasn't getting a response. And I am obviously sending messages just like, hey, you know, how are you? And then it got to where I was sending messages like, let me know you're okay. Please, you know, just let me know you're okay. I'm getting worried about you. Just checking in with you. Just things like that. And I was like, okay, I'm really worried about you. Please just let me know you're okay. And, and so I was sending messages like that to both her and Evan's phones. And I would send, you know, a message or phone call every few days. And they didn't have voicemail set up, so I couldn't leave a voicemail or anything. But I said, but I was sending texts and calling every few days, at least. If and then it got to where I was calling them like at least once a day for for a while. And I said that was going on for about two or three weeks. And then they were disconnected. At this point, I was when I was even telling my husband and, and my mom, you know, my fiance at the time. I mean, I kept telling them. Even I said something's wrong. Something's not right. I said, I, you know. And they kept telling me, they said, well, maybe she's mad at you because you moved. I said, maybe so. I said, I don't think that's her. I said, maybe maybe so. I said, maybe she is. I said, you know, maybe she just doesn't feel like talking right now. I don't know. So I kept trying to shrug it off that, you know, she was mad or, you know, something, you know, she just didn't feel like talking or whatever. Because, I mean, occasionally we would go a week or so without talking. It was no big deal. But I said, you know, for her to go several weeks like that, and I was like, that's, there's something wrong. And so, but I couldn't remember her mom's last name. I knew she lived in Texas, but I couldn't remember her last name. I, you know, I found one of her brothers on Facebook, but he couldn't, um, it was set up where he didn't receive messages from outside of of his friends. So I couldn't send him a message.
0: Susan's mom had also found their phones were disconnected. Initially, Linda told me it was just too painful for her to talk with me and participate in this podcast. She'd lost her husband just a few short months before Susan and Evan vanished, so I think the losses have been overwhelming. Another family member has since told me that Linda has decided she does want to speak with me, so I believe we will all hear her story in a future episode. Linda has previously stated in news interviews that Susie was private, and she didn't want to upset her by calling the police. Many of those close to Susie have expressed to me how private she was, and all had similar concerns. Also, Linda had visited Susan, Jerry, Evan, and Susan's daughter for Mother's Day just two weeks prior to their disappearance. Other family members have told me it was a nice visit and everyone seemed to be happy. In July, after she discovered both their phones were disconnected, Linda decided to write Susan a letter and mail it to her. Then one day, The unopened letter came back from the post office as undeliverable. Around this same time, Susan's other brother, Brian, and her sister-in-law, Melissa, were planning a trip to see Linda at her home in Texas. They didn't communicate with Susan and Evan on a regular basis, so had no idea they were missing. Here is Melissa.
2: To go a couple months without talking to them wasn't a big deal,
0: when they arrived at Linda's home in Texas, Linda broke the news.
2: His mom knew what all was going on but didn't say a word to us at all because she knew we were planning the trip to come down. I think she was a little worried that it would upset Brian and Brian would go through Alabama on his way there. So she waited till we got there. As soon as we got there, she took us in the door and sat us down and told us what was all going on about the, her being missing and that they were going to file a police report. And let us all know what she said she didn't want to worry us while we were making the trip already.
0: This is also when Susan's family was able to make contact with Holly.
1: Then one day I got a message from him, a brother Jason in North Carolina. He said, can you give me a call? You know, it's an emergency concerning Susie. And he had his phone number in there. And as soon as I saw that, I was at work and I immediately called him. I said, so I said, what's happened? I said, you know, have you have you found him? Have you heard from him? He says, "So I take it you haven't heard from them either." I said, "No." He said, "No, you know we know something's wrong." He said, "I knew if if you if if you hadn't talked to her, then then something's wrong." He said, "So I knew if anyone had talked to her then you had." And I was, he said, "I originally didn't think about you and forgot." He said, like, "But then I started thinking." He said, "Holly was the only friend she talked about, so I've got to find Holly and contact her." So he told me he said, you know, we're filing a missing person's report, and he said, Will you talk to the tech? I said yes, tell them they need to call me immediately.
0: Evan's friend Brianne told me she received a direct message from Susan's brother Jason through Instagram around the same time. She said Jason wanted to know when she'd last spoken to Evan. She hadn't spoken to him in months. She checked with other friends of Evans and she couldn't find anyone who had spoken to him recently. This is when Linda. Susan's brothers, Brian and Jason, and her sister-in-law, Melissa, called the Elmore County Sheriff's Office to make the missing persons report. Missing persons reports are handled by the Sheriff's Investigations Unit. This report was made on a weekend, so the following Monday, two investigators, Captain Chris Ogden and Lieutenant Troy Evans, went to Susan and Evans' home for a welfare check. When they arrived, they found Susan's vehicle in the driveway They rang the doorbell, and the door was answered by Susan's husband, Jerry Osborne. Jerry was cleaning. Here is Lieutenant Evans describing what they found when Jerry answered the door.
3: He had some incense burning. He had a burn barrel going in the backyard, which it was 90-something degrees at the time, which we thought was alarming. And he made the comment that we had caught him on his cleaning day, to which, I mean, the house looked pretty much in order. Like I said, it was just a large amount of incense burning in the house, almost to the point where it was almost uh, too much to stay in there with.
0: Jerry told the investigators that on Memorial Day, he and Susan had a fight and that she and Evan left with an unknown man in a truck.
3: He just said she'd gotten in a vehicle with an unknown male uh, and left, he believed, to the Birmingham area, which we couldn't understand why. He assumed it that she had gone to Birmingham. I think he just said it was a pickup truck, but he gave a fairly descriptive, um, well, a description of the of the subject. He said he was about six foot tall. Um, he had a beard, glasses, uh, sunglasses on, white male, um, and he was able to to tell us all this based on a um, surveillance camera that he had surrounding his house. He said he did not go outside and confront the gentleman, that uh, he knew himself better than that, that he there would have been a problem. He stayed inside the vehicle, uh, or inside the residence, um, while her and Evan got into this pickup truck and drove away, um, which we thought was odd that he was able to give height description and that sort of thing on a guy that never got out of a trial on a on a very small um, not very good surveillance system that he had at his house
0: he stated he hadn't seen or heard from either of them since that day evan was scheduled to have oral surgery on may 31st two days after memorial day Jerry gave the investigators a bill from the dentist office as proof that Susan and Evan were okay.
3: He also provided uh, a dentist paperwork for Evan while we were there. And it gave us the impression that Evan had made an appointment or had attended a dentist appointment since they were last seen. And that was basically him saying, hey, look, I can prove they're still around because he made this dentist appointment. But if I well, I know it was the same day we were able to verify that he he did not in fact make that
0: appointment. While they were at Jerry's home, the investigators noticed some curious things, and later that day they also received a phone call from Susan's best friend Holly.
1: So that next day, the the next morning, I was at work. That's when I called the the detective and talked to him. I started explaining to him about the emails and just, just even some of the information on you and. I was at work, so I couldn't stay on the phone very long. I said, let me just give you a little brief synopsis right now and tell you more when I get off of work. I said, but something's happened to him. He said, what makes you think that? And I was trying to explain to him why I think that. I said, you know, she wouldn't just up and disappear like this. She would have told me. She would have called me. I said, and she wouldn't have left him.
0: Then Holly dropped a bombshell on the detectives.
1: January of 2016, Me and her were texting one day because we text or talked on the phone most every day. There was not very often we did not talk. And she sent me a text and said, what's your email address? So I sent her my email address and she said, I'm about to send you an email. Don't talk about it through text. So she sends me this other email and she said, my husband's cheating on me with men.
0: What secrets had Jerry been keeping? What did the investigators find at Susan and Jerry's home? Would it be enough for police to get a search warrant? Did Susan and Evan really leave with another man? Join us next time for episode two. Thank you for listening to Secrets True Crime. If you have any information that could help in solving the disappearance of Susan Osborne and Evan Shortrand, please call the Elmore County Sheriff's Office at 34 567 546. You may also email me at secrets true crime at gmail.com. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Secrets Crime.